Hello and welcome. My guest today is Oliver Brocato. Oliver is the creator of Tabs, a sex chocolate brand that has done over $11 million in revenue over the past two or three years. And he has almost single-handedly put the team on his back in the past nine months to build this brand into something massive. In this conversation, we got deep on his mindset, his core beliefs, how his network and personal brand have helped him in his pursuits, the chip on his shoulder, and his relationship with his dad. This was an incredibly deep and profound conversation, and it's one I'm really grateful that it's out there, that it's recorded, and that we will be able to use it as a timestamp. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody you think will enjoy it as well. I'm absolutely loving the tweets people are posting about their favorite moments and quotes from the show. I will do my best to retweet. And now, let's get right into the episode with Oliver Brocato. Oliver, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was August of 2022 when I first met you. And immediately felt a sense of connection because here's a fellow Italian Jew from the New York area. Yep. And I was like, oh man. And then the the crazy part was just the point in your life in which I was meeting you where you've spoken about this publicly where Absolutely. you were down, it you're moving back to your parents' house, but it wasn't even the house you grew up in. And it's a real honor to see the full circle of where you are today as we're recording in May of 2023 compared to where you were in August of 2022. It just shows how much can be done in such a short time for your own mental and your own business success. So thank you for being here, man. I'm excited to get into it. Dude, thank you so much for having me, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure and I'm excited to see how this you know podcast goes. I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours, daddy. And uh, I mean, I, I feel very similarly. I, would, I remember when I first met you, dude, like it was wild. There was just like this like connection like no homo there was just like this fucking connection like right off the bat and i was like yo like this is like my brother um i don't know what it was i think that like the fact that we're both from the east coast i think you're from long island right i'm from westchester um both italian grew up in similar households like i don't know i feel like we just like vibed yeah 100 percent, we did and so take me back to that place in august 2022 paint the picture for people of where you were mentally dude i was beat up man um it was a really really tough time for me like it was a really really tough time for me i had just left school i was studying business at the university of michigan i was studying at ross um and my business had just been taking off like a rocket ship you know our first month in business you know, we're $280,000 in revenue. We sold out of all of our inventory in our first three weeks, then went viral and had like this influx of pre-orders. It was like, you know, I could not believe it. And I'd been dreaming about this ever since I was a kid. I've been dreaming about this moment and being in this position, you know, since I was 14 years old, I've been hacking away at my own little projects and ventures. Many of them were failures. Many of them didn't go anywhere. And you know, I remember my parents would be like, hey, like, we're going to take away your business if, if, you don't, if you don't study harder and if you don't, like, you know, apply yourself harder in school. But, like, I've always had that, like, entrepreneurial core belief and, and identity. And so, you know, I finally kind of hit this, this break point where 
you know, I have something. And I decide that I need to go all in. So I drop out of school. And, you know, over the summer, I'm building the business month after month after month. And then July hits. And by the way, for me, like this summer was supposed to be like Facebook 07, right? This was like Zuck leaving Harvard and kind of going out and like, this was supposed to be like the summer. Like this was supposed to be like fucking my time to shine. Like, you know, I'd always been like weighed down by, you know, school or other responsibilities or other things going on at the time. And this was finally like my like moment to just really kind of put everything aside and just go deep. And July happened and everything hit the fan at once. Uh, my co-founder basically told me like that he was going back to school despite his pledge to take a gap year with me. Uh, he told me that he would be doing the bare minimum per his contractual obligations and that uh, you know he'd be starting other business ventures and he thought that it was wise that I would do the same. Um, my One of my interns slash like employees um, left um, it just wasn't the right fit, like professionally, but you know, he moved in with me and we became best friends and he was like a live in like brother. And so that was like a very kind of like difficult to position to be in where like on one hand, on a business standpoint, like it just wasn't the right fit. But then on the other point, it was like, you know, this was like, like losing my best friend. And then I had this other like employee that basically tried to extort me for equity in the company and told me that like he wasn't going to work any longer like unless like I met like his like crazy demands and so that all combined with the business growing month after month after month to taking a nosedive and declining by like 60% in one month we get banned on every single like so social media platform you know I'm sitting there like questioning everything I'm sitting there in like this Miami apartment that was like my dream apartment that I couldn't really afford but you know, decided that I was going to move in because I would grow into it. Sitting there in this 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 this, this massive apartment by myself, all alone with no furniture in it because I couldn't afford furniture at the time. Um, and I'm like, I fucked up. I fucked up big time. And I wanted to go back to school at that point too because I'm like, listen, like everything's crumbling around me. Um, but I, I couldn't because I I didn't take a prerequisite class. I didn't take like this economics class. And so the school advisor was like, listen, like you, you got to wait a year before you can come back and like, you can't even re-enroll even if you wanted to. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, everybody was right. You know, my parents were like, you know, I told you so. My parents warned me against this. My friends thought I was crazy. Like everybody around me was kind of like, not like praying for my downfall. Don't get me wrong. Like people are, people were supportive, but like, you know, everybody was like, be realistic. You know, like, what are you doing? Like you just, you need to be in school. And, um, for me, like a large part of like taking this leap of faith and doing what I did was to do this because it was because I had this chip on my shoulder and was because I wanted to show everybody that, you know, I could do it. I didn't need to like follow the path. And so, I mean, that month was just like absolutely debilitating. And, you know, the months prior, I had built up like this confidence and this like charisma and like this, like even ego, I would, I would go so far to say, right? Like this, you know, I'm untouchable. And everything came crashing and burning down. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't even, I didn't even knew who I saw. I just lost like all hope. And um, yeah, man, it was, it was a really, really difficult time. How'd you get out of it? Time. 
I wish that I could tell you that there was like some sort of like silver bullet. I wish I could tell you like, yeah, I started meditating. You know, I started hitting the gym and started doing cold, cold, cold plunges and what like. It was something with top, but um, you were somebody that was that was instrumental. I remember, you know, we would hop on calls and you would coach me through it and and and, and give me advice and you know tell me that it was all going to work out in the end, even though like I could not believe it or fathom that. Um, somebody that was incredibly instrumental was my uncle. Uh, my parent, uh, so I moved in. I moved back home with my parents, which was the last place on earth you know a college kid wants to be and. I, I recognize that I'm very fortunate that I even had a place to move into because most people probably wouldn't. Um, but I mean, listen, man, I gave up like everything. I was, I was at the second best business school in the country. I was surrounded by my friends, parties, girls, this, that life was fully paid for and funded by my parents, which I, again, I recognize I'm incredibly privileged and grateful for that, you know, school, food, anything, bro. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like, but you know, my parents got it. And I basically turned my back on all of that to go down my own path. And, um, I thought that I could do it, but you know, this kind of moment presented itself and, um, it just like brought me back down to, to earth. Um, but my parents, like, so I was back at my parents' house and they were like on vacation somewhere. And my uncle came, uh, my dad's brother, he changed my life. Like without a doubt, we would go on walks every morning. Like he, every morning, afternoon, night. I'd spend like every moment with the guy, um, and he really helped me through it. And when he left after the two weeks, like that was incredibly difficult too, right? Because I felt like I was starting back at square one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't like any like you know like moment or switch that kind of flipped. I don't know, man. Um, kind of time progressed and and time. And, and things kind of slowly started to get better. What did he do that was so impactful, your uncle? He listened. Yeah, man, he listened. Uh, and I was probably like, you know, muttering the same bullshit every single, you know, hour and day and, you know, how helpless I was and how like, and he was just like there for me and he listened to me. And, and I think that that's like a very like underrated, undervalued um, quality in a person. Yeah, man. It is what I try to show people is one of the most important qualities is listening and caring. Yeah. Because presence really is what we're, presence and connection is really what we're all seeking here. And the fact that your uncle did that for you in that, was it a conscious decision? for your uncle of like, I'm going to go to Oliver's house to help him? Or was it just like a spur of the moment coincidence? Like yeah, it was, was it? yeah, it was a spur of the moment co coincidence. Um, my, my nonna, which means grandma in Italian, uh, lives with my parents. She's like 85, 86 years old. And so when my parents went on vacation, you know, my uncle was being the good son, came to my parents' house, flew in and was looking after nonna. Um, and you know, nobody was planning for me to be home at that time either. He already booked the flight. He was already going to be there. Um, but we just had like this two weeks where we were together, like, you know, nonstop. And he was just like really, really there for me. So you're building up this company yeah, and you're doing hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, millions of dollars in revenue. Yeah. 
in February of 2023, your dad sends you a text message that made you cry for 20, 30 minutes. How do you know that? Did I tell you about that? No. We do our research here. What the fuck? Dude, I don't think I've said that anywhere publicly. Jeez, I think there's like a mole in my in my inner circle. Homie hacked into my group chat. No. You, you talked about it on a previous podcast. I'll show it to you after. But why did that message ring so deeply in your soul when your dad sent that? I think... I think a, a large part of like the reason why I'm an entrepreneur and why I do what I do is, um, is to prove to myself and prove to my dad that I could do it. You know that I could, I could, I could, I could forge my own path, and I don't, you know, need to do what everybody else does. And uh, my father has been like very supportive. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to badmouth my dad in any sort of way. And I'm incredibly grateful for like the upbringing that he gave me and you know, the fact that he gave me every single advantage possible. Uh, but a large part of like, I guess my life, which is kind of sad to even like admit it has been like to show my dad that like, I'm my own man, I'm my own person. And I can make these calls and I can hit these calls. Um, and you know, at that point, like, I think that like my success was just so blatant. It was so like, un, I don't know what the word is. Like, it was just like so undeniable. Unso yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was just so undeniable. And at that point, like he basically he basically like told me that he was like super proud of me and that um and that meant that meant the world to me and again I, i'm not I don't, i'm not here to shit talk my dad but like any single accomplishment that i would have i'd bring to my father and, and like you know tell him hey pops like we just hit a twenty thousand dollar day like this is crazy and you know my dad came from just so much doubt it's like oh that's amazing but that's a lot of liability and risk you're taking on right or hey pops I just got written up in this news, whatever. And, you know, he's, it's like criticizing the words that I used or criticizing the fact that I said this instead of this, or aren't you opening up yourself to copycats? Are you sure you want to have press about you? Right? Like it didn't matter like what it was, felt like it was never good enough. And that there was like, he would always come in and find like the one tiny little thing that he can pull and prod out, you know, to kind of discredit it. And, you know, in that moment, there was no, there was no like negative. It was just, you know, I'm proud of you, son. And I've never really gotten that like my entire life. And so when I got that text, man, I literally like was like walked into the bathroom and I just started crying like uncontrollably. I'm like tearing up right now thinking about it. Um, but yeah. Thank you for sharing, man. To be loved and to be accepted is really what we're all seeking on this floating rock in space. And we need that more than anything from our parents. And when it's withheld, it feels really bad. Even if you've been given all the circumstance, even if, even if you know theoretically that your parents love you, right. if they never tell you, you are going to be holding on to a burden. And maybe that burden will help you achieve success in some realm, but it will still feel like there's an emptiness inside. 
because there is. And so what's been the relationship with your dad since that message? Has it just been that one message? Yeah, honestly, I don't, I hate to admit it. I hate to say it, but I don't have the best relationship with my dad. Um, I love the guy to death. I respect him. I respect him more than anybody else. The first one to say my dad is fucking brilliant. Brilliant. Um, but unfortunately, every time I talk to him, like he tries to impart like some sort of lesson or tells me that what I'm doing isn't good enough or it isn't, you know, done the right way or I have to consider X, Y, Z. And um, I'm a 21 year old kid, man. I'm just like, yo, let me live. Like, I'm not sharing this news to like get your insider advice. I'm sharing this news. I just want you to be proud of me, man. I just want to, I just want to tell you what I'm doing. And I don't want like criticism. I don't want, even if it's constructive, I don't want, I don't want judgment. I just want, I just want you to know. I just want you to be proud. Um, and unfortunately I can't have a conversation with him that doesn't end up that way. Um, despite like whatever I try to do. So I don't know. It's something that I'm like still like working like towards because um, you know, my relationship with my family is very important to me. Um, and I know that my dad comes in a good place. I think like it's important like that you understand like the dynamic too where, you know, my my pops, like he grew up in a, a very like well-to-do, you know, family in Italy, went to like the top, you know, international school in Italy. And uh, his father lost everything. And uh, they moved to the United States, like with nothing. And, you know, I could, I couldn't only, could only imagine, you know, my dad was 17 at the time when he moved to the United States and basically went from like, you know, the top boarding school in the world to the public school, like in New York, his dad, like having a driver to like his dad taking the train and bus to work. Right. Um, and, you know, despite how fucking smart and intelligent my dad is, uh, he was unable to like kind of take the risks that I was, you know, provided the opportunity to take. And so as a result, like he's always kind of gone by the book and, um, he went to a great school. He didn't go to the, the best school because, um, he couldn't afford to pay it. He worked four jobs to put him through like this school, you know, the state school that he got into, whatever. Um, and he's worked his way up the corporate ladder, but my dad's a fucking boss, man. Like, that's, I mean, that's where I get it from. I like to think, you know, and I have no doubt that like my dad doesn't stand toe to toe with any of like the titans in business or CEOs or founders. And, um, it's unfortunate because although he's been very successful, don't get me wrong, like very, very successful. Um, I just feel like he's been like pigeonholed to like this ceiling where like, you'll never amount to anything more than this. And I knew from a very young age that I didn't want that ceiling to be imposed on me. And the only way for me to live that life is for me to be my own boss. And I, I think I talked about this once before, but I grew up with this kid named Jack, Jack Rosenthal. He was like my best friend growing up. And um, his dad was also a beast. His dad was also um, like, you know, incredibly intelligent, you know, super sharp. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, and his dad took that bet on himself and became this multi-millionaire hedge fund manager with 
the cars and you know the lambo and the rolls royce and the pjs the xyz and you know jack and jack's family was like a second family to me you know i would like live at their house on the weekends i would, I would go over to his house i'd drop off my backpack and you know like his so I don't even know what to call her, chef, nanny, whatever, would like pick up my backpack, walk into the room, my bed would be made, there'd be a glass of water waiting for me, I'd wake up and there'd be crepes waiting for me in the morning, I was like, what the fuck kind of, you know, fairy tale land is this? There was never any fighting at the house, you know, every, any, everything was like, you know, we'd go to the city in a limousine and we'd go to the best sushi place ever, it was like, it was like a, it was like a fairy tale, man. And again, I, my dad was very successful and I grew up very privileged, but money was always tight. For whatever reason, it felt like money was always tied. There was never enough money, constant bickering and fighting. And, you know, my mom used to work in consulting and she, she, she stopped working there to kind of raise me and my sister. And there was this like really ugly period where, like where my dad was being really mean to my mom kind of because like she wasn't working and he felt like he had all the burden to provide for the family. And, you know, there was, there's just like a lot of commotion and resentment and fighting about money. It was always about money. And there's never enough money. And so, I don't know. I think that like those circumstances and that kind of environment um, fueled me to be, become the person that I am today. And again, I really don't, I, I want to preface this with like, yo, my dad kills it. Like, I don't want to like make it seem like I'm like, come from like this poor, like, you know, neighborhood where like we're growing up on food stamps. Like, no, 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 no. Like, like my dad does very well for himself. He works in finance. Like, so I just, I do want to preface that with that because I don't want anybody to get like this misinterpretation that like, I'm like this like broke kid that like made it with nothing and, and you know, turned like, no, no, no. Like I, I do acknowledge that. But it's also important to note that even though from the external perception, the circumstances were really good internally in your own family dynamic, they weren't. Right. And that is something that I think is hard for most people to grasp. And I'm grateful for you for sharing it. What makes you so comfortable talking about your own struggles with your dad, your family dynamics, and the situation, your privilege as a, in general, when you could easily not talk about it? What makes you confident to talk about it? <clears throat> the people that I look up to and like admire and respect the most, like they're authentic. They're like, they're super, super authentic. And so I try to embody that. Like I, I try to live like, you know, that way on social media, like on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok, whatever. I'm on a podcast. Like I'm going to be myself. And, um, you know, I, I might honestly ask you like post-production to probably like clip some things out or like take some things out. Right. Like, you know, uh, but dude, like I don't have anything to hide. I like there, there are no walls. Like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna keep it real. And I think that, um, I think people will like that same way that like when I've watched like other, you know, people on podcasts or figures or people in the e-com space talk about their journeys. Like that was always my favorite part was how transparent they were. Everybody talks about the wins, the dubs, like, you know, making abs, like the vacations, the girls, the bottles the this, the that, right? Like that's cool. But I think that like what really kind of creates that connection um, is when you go a level deeper. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is if I tell my story, like my real story. I appreciate that. Speaking of people who admire you, you admire or respect, 
Alan Maman. Yeah. Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> You're good, bro. <laughs> Alan Maman, man. Um, what an interesting guy. Um, Alan Maman was a senior in high school when I was a freshman. And, uh, dude, he fucking ran that school, bro. He was like, he was like an actual, like, just like living legend. I remember one time, like, at gym class, he had like a business call, like, super important business call. And he was on the phone. And by the way, the gym teacher was an absolute asshole. Like, everybody knew the gym teacher was an asshole. And my mom's on this call, he's talking on the phone. And the, the gym teacher's like, Leo, like, Alan, like, I need you to, like, turn that off. You got to go over there. And Alan Mon gives him, like, the, you know, the one second. <laughs> Bro, it was like one of the funniest moments, dude. The gym teacher, like, turned red. Like, like basically, I think I like, grabbed the phone out of his hand, like sent him to the office. Like it was like this whole like thing. Like it was, okay, um, that tells you nothing about yeah. Alan but uh, yeah, dude. good preface. Yeah, wore like Gucci slides. <laughs> he's always he's always caught his Gucci slides. Um, but yeah, so Alan was a senior when I was a freshman, and Maman was also kind of just like a natural born like hustler and entrepreneur, and he was the guy that put fidget spinners on the map. Um, like he he's literally credited as the guy that put it and everybody says like oh like i was one of the first people no 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 like if you look up fidget spinners or whatever like you will find him on forbes on huffington post on everywhere like he found it on like uh on kickstarter or whatever. it's actually a tragic story about if, if you know the origin of the fidget spinner some woman created it and the patent expired and then it blew up right it was like this multi multi like you know probably 100 million dollar market but my mom like found it after the patent expired. It was nothing, like nobody was using them. It was like a toy for like people with ADHD. And he's like, yeah, this is super fun. And uh, it started off in my school and it took over my school like wildfire. Like every single like dude that was between like 12 years old and 18 years old, like had one of their fidget spinners in their pockets. You're saying Armug High School? Yes. And middle school yeah. was the creation yeah. and the- Not the creation, but like that's where like it started. Wow. Yeah. At least in, is, is that true? Yes. hundred percent. Undoubtedly. Like if you ask anybody like from Byron Hills or from like Armagh, New York, or, like, even if you look it up online, like undoubtedly, like we were like one of the first places like where it took off and Maman was the guy behind it. And so I was a young freshman at the time and, you know, I'm seeing it take over the school and I'm seeing like they would print out the frames at the schools, like you know, with the schools, like a 3D printer, we had like a 3D printer that was donated to like the school. And so they would print out the frames. And they would hammer in these rubber mallets and they would sell it to all the kids. And I was like, dude, I could make these. I could sell these too. And okay. So, okay. Yeah. What in you made you say I could sell these? Because a lot of people saw right. the fidget spinners going off, but they didn't say to themselves, oh, I could sell these too. What in you made you say I could? Dude, I mean, just like this natural like hunger and this, like this natural sense of like entrepreneurship. Like when I was in third grade. Um, I started this thing called pencil insurance where kids would pay me like one pencil every week. And if they ever lost the pencil, like they would, I would replace it on the spot for free. Um, and like, I don't know why, but like pencils were like cool. Like having a lot of pencils was like a, a social currency. And, you know, but like by the end of the year, I had like fucking buckets, right? Like I had like, I had uh, you know, like instead of like keeping them in the bank, I would have like a, a tissue box full of, it was, it was a fake tissue box full of pencils. It was like, you know, like it was like fake money almost. And I had like an army of like, you know, sales, like, like commission, like recruiters that would like, you know, negotiate and make these deals for me with the other kids in the other classes and the grade. Like, dude, I, I don't know, bro. That's just how I've been since I was a kid. And so, you know, when I see like an opportunity, when I see like, you know, some, some sort of vehicle, um, 
to, to, to build a business or, or to make something big that I believe in, I seize it. I take it. And so, you know, I saw my mom like, you know, like killing it with these spinners. And um, frankly, I was like, dude, what does my mom have that I don't have, right? Like, what, what, you know, I, I, could, I could do this too. Like, I could make these, I could sell these. Like, I, fuck it. Like, and I did just that. And, uh, you know, my mom hated my guts. I mean, hated me. Um, I don't blame him. Um, and, you know, I started selling to, to kids. I was a competitor that popped up. And then I started knocking out doors in my town. And I was, like, selling fidget spinners, you know, in wholesale to, like, stores. Um, then I was doing uh, bar mitzvahs and events. I would bring, like, these 3D printers with me. And I would give out, like, fidget spinners to the kids. And it was all paid for by, like, you know, the sponsor. Like, whether it was the bar mitzvah boy or whether it was, like, you know, some sort of company event. Um, you know, we, we, we created like uh, custom fidget spinners for companies and they would put their logo on it and they would hand it out. It's like swag for like recruitment or when they're going to college campuses, like bro, anywhere and everywhere. Like I was all over it. And eventually I kind of like tapped out like, you know, the, I guess the in-person market, if we, whatever you want to call it. Right. Every, every kid in, in, in my town and every kid in neighboring towns and even in New York city, like at this point, you know, had a fidget spinner in their pocket. And I was like, okay, now what? who do I sell to now? That kind of really saturated it. So I was like, all right, I'll put it online. So I put it on eBay and Etsy. Um, and since I was so early on in the trend, like my listing was just one of the first ones that would pop up. What year is this? Shoot, man. <sighs> Around. I, I, was, I was a freshman in high school, so uh, 2016. 2016. Yeah, that is early for fidget spinners. Yeah. I mean, that was the year. And it wasn't even years, it was months, bro. Like it was just, just exploded, bro. And since I was so early on in the trend and I was like smart enough, you know, like I would, you know, I was, I was optimizing my listing. I was looking at competitors and the keywords that they were using and I would use similar keywords and I made sure I had the best photography and I would do everything that I could to optimize customers to leave like positive reviews. I'd put an insert in, you know, with, with each order and tell them that I'd give them X dollars off or whatever this or that if they left a positive review. Like I was... I'm a little schemer. I was like trying to like do what I could to kind of like I'll go hack and, 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 and climb my way to the top. But just because of like, you know, good timing, um, I was one of like the top listings. When you searched fidget spinner, like I came up on on eBay. I came up on Etsy. And that opened me up to the world of online money and to the world of e-commerce. And I haven't looked back since. Wow. So if I would have told you five years from now, from starting the fidget spinner trend you're going to be having a sex chocolate brand right. that is dominating the world right. that made you a millionaire yeah. i mean would you have believed me or would you have been like uh it'll probably happen sooner <laughs> um i don't think i would have ever guessed that it'd be a sex chocolate brand and I don't, I don't know if i would have guessed you know how fast like this kind of success would have come um but I for sure believe, like, if you told me at, you know, 16, that by 21, your company's going to do $11 million in a year, 40 to 45% net margins, selling shit online, I would have said, fuck yeah, that's me, I'm him. I believed in myself. Like, maybe it was delusional, but I, I believed in myself more than anybody else. Like, I felt that I was destined for greatness. I felt that I deserved, you know that success. I deserve to be at that place. I knew that I could be there. And again, like just bringing it back to kind of our prior conversation, like I saw my pops growing up and I saw Jack's dad growing up. And I knew that there was no difference 
between those two people. One had achieved though success beyond like anybody can dream, like money that you couldn't even fathom. And the only thing that separated them was Jack's dad took the risk and bet on himself. My dad did it. And so I vowed that like I would take the risk, that I would bet on myself, that I would believe in myself, that I'd set my mind to it and do it. And, you know, these past seven years since I was a 14-year-old kid, I'm now 21 years old and a multimillionaire selling sex chocolate on the internet, among other ventures now. Um, but that's all a testament to that, like, mindset that was, like, fucking programmed into me, like, by my circumstance in childhood. Okay, so now you're a multimillionaire at 21, and that's a position that not a lot of people will relate to, understand, or even even want to relate to because there's a filter up there. What do most people or what might most people misunderstand about a 21-year-old multimillionaire? First of all, it's just as new to me as it is to, I guess, like anybody else. I started Tabs like three years ago. I paid myself for the first time in January. Okay? For a very long time, you know, I'm, I was eating ramen, like whatever, you know, like I can, I can tell you all the stories about how, you know, despite being connected in like pretty cool circles, you know, like my friend would invite me on a boat in Miami, but I couldn't afford the Uber to get there. Or like my buddy would invite me to give a, like, you know, a talk to like his 20 employees at his design agency, but like I'm sweating about how I'm going to pay for lunch. And so, you know, like. Well, I had a lot of like success with the business, for, like for a long time, it's constantly reinvesting every single dime I had in order to fuel growth. And despite tabs, like pushing like pretty wild numbers, you know, even from, from the get go, it was always like getting pushed back into new inventory, into like growth. Cause that's the only way you keep up with demand. And so I've always valued a dollar. I still value a dollar the same way. And, um, you know, now I got money, which is like pretty wild. Um, it's nice. Like I'm, I'm able to, to order when I want at a restaurant and not have to look at the, the price tag. I'm, I'm able to do things that, that most people can't, um, but not much really has changed for me, honestly. Like I don't spend a lot of money. I don't do crazy shit. Like I'm the same guy. I'm the same person. Like money doesn't, well, hopefully money doesn't change a person, um, I will say like, it's for sure like validated though, like a lot of my beliefs, right? Because now it's kind of like, there's proof to the pudding. Like I, be I still, be I believed all the things that I believe now when I was 16, but now I got like millions of dollars in my bank account to support those beliefs, right? Which is for sure like emboldened me a little bit more to, to, be, to be even more confident in a lot of like my stances or my perspectives on college, pers like for example, or, or this or that, or like, you know, working a job, like, it's like kind of like supporting evidence that, you know, maybe I was right. It's also a little bit of survivorship bias too, right? Um, but I'm the same guy, dude. And I, I think that like, that, 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 like that's a secret too. Like I've had the privilege of meeting some incredibly successful and wealthy individuals. And I'm sure you have too, bro. You interview them all the time. Dude, we all bleed the same blood. We all have fears and insecurities and things that keep us up at night. Some rational, some irrational. Money doesn't change you as a person. That's what I believe. But I think that it does give you like tools 
and freedom and independence. It allows you the freedom and the opportunity to think about topics that you would have never explored because you're so, otherwise you would have been so heads down in your world, in the rat race, in the system, just trying to make ends meet, right? But that also opens you up to a whole new set of problems, an existential like crisis. Like what's the point of life? You think a poor guy that's working, you know, fucking 20 hours a day is thinking about what the point of life is? Nah, man. He's thinking about how he's going to put food on his table, how he's going to support his family. And a lot of times you see like, you know, less successful people or whatever you want to call it that are happier than wealthier people too. Um, money. Yeah. I don't know. Money's an interesting thing. What are the core beliefs that got you to this point? That's a good question. Um, I would say like first is this, this self-confidence and this feeling that, like I said, like I told you, like I was destined for more. I've always felt that I could achieve those heights and that was realistic for me. And it wasn't a question of if, but when. I'd credit most of my success to that. Like the vast, vast majority of my success to that. Because if you don't think it, if you don't believe it, how are you ever going to get there? Like any, any sort of action starts with an idea. And so if you don't even have that idea planted into your mind, you're fucked from the get-go. And that's like why people talk about like manifesting. Like, oh, I can write it down in my journal a hundred times. Like, do I believe in like some of like the spiritual nonsense that I hear? No. But do I believe that if you define your goal and you embody your goal and you think about your goal and you obsess over your goal, that over time you're going to reach a goal? Of course. You have a purpose. You've defined it. You've said it. You're, you're speaking into reality and then you, you got to execute on it. It doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't happen out of magic. But most people don't even know what they want. Most people haven't even defined like where they want to be. Most people haven't even thought about that. And so like, are you confused that one person who wakes up and all he thinks about is getting to that spot, got there versus one person whose head is in the clouds, does it? It makes sense. When did you first know what you wanted? I guess when I went to Jack's house. <laughs> makes sense. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And when was that? When you were 14, 15, 13, like... I was like 10. When you were 10, you were just envisioning. Dude, I was in second grade. And wow. I was in second grade and uh, we were in the same class and he randomly like invited me to like his Hamptons house or like, you know, to like his club in the Hamptons. And I was 10 years old at the time. And uh, we just like hit it off. We became boys. It wasn't even the money. Like sure, like yeah, the money and the lifestyle was cool, but like we became brothers and we're still brothers to this day. But being exposed to like that lifestyle and exposed to like, I guess the point zero 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 one percent and understanding and growing up in that environment, but not quite being a part of that, I think had a massive impact on me. Massive, massive impact. Iman Godzi talks about this as well. Right. Where he went to private school right, but was poor right. and he saw and was so close to the top of the sure. top. And that understanding gave him the push and the desire to really be all he could be monetarily which is interesting it's very interesting i think that like a lot of people they'd be surprised 
that how how actually attainable it truly is. I think that so many people just like dismiss the thought of like being, you know, at an Iman Godzi level or like being a multimillionaire or being, you know, a billionaire or whatever it is. Like so many people like think that it's a, like some fever dream or that it's impossible. And I'm under the belief that anybody can do it if they want it bad enough. And I'm probably going to get clowned for this and people who say, oh, it's so cheesy, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like that's been said a hundred times or whatever. Like, that's fine. I believe that to my core. That like anybody can wake up. Actually, I don't know if they can wake up. I think like some people like are kind of like, like maybe have like some sort of like predispositions and genetics or have some sort of like environmental factor the way that I did or the way that Iman Godzi did that like programmed our brain in a certain way. Um, but I do truly believe that if you want it bad enough, you will, you will, you will get there. You got to take it. Nobody's going to give it to you. You're a testament to that too, man. I mean, what podcast number are you on? This is episode 359. What's the, what's the, let me rephrase that. What's the statistic? What, like 95% of podcasts fail after seven episodes? I mean, you know the stat. I pulled that, I pulled those numbers out of my ass. 90% of podcasts don't make it past episode seven. And of those, 90% don't make it past episode 20. So it's like, but, and this is the thing that people have to understand is like, the reps are universally admired. If somebody does 400 podcast episodes, they are, you are inherently, anybody is going to say, that's pretty interesting. Why are they doing that? If you start 50 different businesses or you, you do 50 different iterations of your business and try to make it better and better, everyone's going to look at that and be like, what is this? Like, there's something here. They care about it enough to do these iterations. Absolutely. So this is something Alex Ramosi really, really highlighted for me that reps and effort is the universal currency of respect. Right. So for sure, the universal currency of respect, but time in the game becomes the most like, you know, competitive advantage of all. I think that like what leads to success is not like IQ or intelligence. It's experience and intuition. Experience is seeing all the different situations and seeing how things play out and falling into every single pitfall and failing and touching the stove and getting burnt 800 times. But at some point, if you're, if you're growing from each one and each rep, you're getting a little bit better, you know, by 0.1% and that's compounding over and over and over again, you know, eventually it's inevitable that you make it. And all of those experiences build your intuition so that when you're faced with one, another problem, you, you have like some sort of like subconscious, like feeling and action of you, of knowing how to perfectly navigate it because of the 800 other, it's pattern recognition, right? Like you've seen 800 situations like it. You've seen the, the ones that have been successful. You've seen the ones that have been unsuccessful. You have pattern recognition. Like you're like, like think about it like a, like machine learning almost, right? Like human machine learning. Where like you know exactly what moves you need to make in order to get to the other side of the road successfully. And most people 
don't even know how to get to the other side of the road. They get hit by a car, they get hit by a truck, they fall in, they 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 they, they step on the landmine, they fall in the pothole, they twist their their their, their ankle. You know what I'm saying? Like mo, but as like over time, if you're able to basically just survive and figure it out, and you make it to the end, I mean, by that point, like you've hit it. A, you've hit it once, and B, you can probably hit it again. See, like with tabs, you know, it was a huge learning curve. Like there were so many things that I fucked up on. What people don't know is that I've been in the game for seven years before tops. And there were so many more failures before tops, right? Like tell them about the social media agency you did with the barbers. Yeah, man. That was my first client. I started a little social media uh, agency when I was like 15. And, um, I was like running Instagram accounts uh, and profiles and growing Instagram pages for local mom and pop shops. Nobody would give me the time of day. The only pe- people that like gave me a shot was my barber in exchange for like a free haircut. But yeah, man, like that, that's when I was 15 and I got like hundreds, not hundreds, that's an exaggeration. I got, I've got like, I've got scores of like mini businesses and projects. Like most of them were catastrophic failures, but through each one, like I gained a little bit more wisdom. I gained a little bit experience in some space and, you know, with tabs, everything kind of came together perfectly. And that was like finally my home run. And still, even with tabs, there were so many things that I fucked up on. Like, and I can go on for about hours about all the mistakes that I've made. And I'm still making mistakes to this day. But now, like, if I want to build a new company, and I, that's exactly what's happening, right? Like, I just started a, a new little SaaS tool. Uh, in my first two weeks, I took it from zero to 2,000 subscribers, from zero to $25,000 in MRR in two weeks, you know, profitably. Um, for most, that's unfathomable. For me, I have the exact game plan. I have a blueprint of knowing exactly what I need to do, what checkboxes I need to tick, what email flows I need to build, what tick, like what kind of ads I need to run, what creatives I need to run. And I have already the entire team. I have the Rolodex of connections and people that I need to speak to, the conversations that need to take place. And it's like, you know, the back of my, back of my hand. I know exactly what I need to do in order to make something happen. But, you know, for me, like, I know what I need to do to take it from zero to one. Some people know how to take it from zero to one billion, right? So, like, I'm still, like, you know, playing in my own game, too. And there's there's always another level, man. Always another level. Yeah. I was interesting hearing you talk about it on a previous podcast about you use the practical example of the Facebook ads rep being like, at one point, if Facebook went down, I would have no idea what to do. Now, after a certain point, Facebook goes down and now I have an ads rep that I can call because that's a new level that gets unlocked in the game because you spent more time in it. Yeah, dude. I, I, I would argue that it gets easier. Dude, like... Definitely. It's pretty crazy. Like, I mean, also just like my network now, right? Dude, there's so much alpha and sauce that gets shared like once you reach a certain point. Like, okay, like now like I'm in the eight figure range, like I'm in group chats, I'm in Discord groups, I'm in Slack groups, I'm having phone calls and conversations where like I'm on the cutting edge of, you know, the e-commerce world. Like Facebook is about to release an update. I knew about it last month. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's impossible to be on that, to, to, to operate on the same level if you're like a newbie that's like watching YouTube j- like videos trying to learn how to drop ship. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean like that should be encouragement though. That it actually gets easier as you as as you progress and as you advance. The game gets easier, right? Like another another way it gets easier, bro. Like 
back then, like if I lost, you know, $5,000 or $10,000 or $20,000, it's game over, bro. My world is ending. Now I could, I could throw darts at the board. You know, if this business fails tomorrow, that's cool. Guess what? I'm starting a new one. And if that one fails tomorrow, I'm starting a new one. And I have the, I have the proper, you know, I have the proper funding now, self-funding, um, to invest in the right infrastructure. I could hire the employees that I would never had access to. I could work with the agencies that I used to dream about working with. And now like these kinds of personnel take my business 10 times farther than I would have ever been able to take it alone, right? So like there's so many things that you unlock along the way um, that just make the path easier with, without a doubt. Talk to me about Twitter and how that has played a role in building the network as well as building the personal brand, which I know you're going heavy on YouTube. Yeah. Currently at this recording, close to 3,000 subscribers, gonna be 30,000 and 300,000 before you know it. So we better get this podcast out too. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, dude, when I, when I started tabs, um, actually, well, I actually tried starting on Twitter, like before tabs, uh, like three months earlier. Uh, what nobody, month is this? I don't know. Just for context. Okay. The journey. Okay. Um, maybe like September, like three years ago. So 2020, September, 2020, 2019 around, around. maybe 20, yeah, 2019, yeah. uh, 2019, so like maybe September, 2019. And um, I was like tweeting about like some of my thoughts, some of my opinions, some tactics, influencer stuff. Nobody gave me the time of day. I had like zero followers, like zero eyeballs. And why should they? Um, and then, you know, I started building tabs and I started talking about, you know, what that process looks like, you know, behind the scenes, the tactics, you know, the strategy, like some there's some of the rationale behind the decisions that we were making. Um, and I did so in a very unfiltered, authentic way, right? Where I was talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. And over time, like zero followers turned into five followers, which turned into 10, which turned into 20, which turned into 100. Um, and fast forward, you know, I have like 21,000 followers on Twitter, which doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not. But I would argue that my 21,000 followers is more powerful than most Instagram thoughts have with 3 million. I'm not kidding. Because the quality of followers that I have are unbelievable. They're entrepreneurs. Most are in the e-com space. Um, but, you know, we're talking about, like, titans, dude. We're talking about people that operate multi-million dollar businesses. Um, and so that kind of a follower, I mean, how do you put a price tag on that? It's wild. And now you're going into YouTube. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I've discovered the power of like personal brand, right? Like Twitter has, Twitter has changed my life, man. Um, first of all, like most of my team I've sourced from Twitter. Or if it's not from Twitter, it's indirectly from Twitter because it's like friends that I've made that are like, you know, massive in the e-com space that are now recommending people. So, you know, whether it was sourced directly from Twitter or sourced like, you know, indirectly, you know, I would credit Twitter to that, my whole entire team. On top of that, uh, you know, the relationships that I've built out with, you know, friends, advisors, mentors, um, you know, people in the space, people that are not in the space. Um, I felt like before Twitter, I was confined geographically, right? Like, were my best friends my best friends or were those like my best friends out of convenience because they were the coolest people in my two mile radius? 
right? That's like that, that's something to think about. Like, would you be friends with those kids? Like, if you were to able to, if you were able to increase that 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 circle from your town and your high school to the whole, whole entire world, would you choose to spend your time with that person? I don't know. I think most people probably would say maybe, maybe not. Um, and like some of my best friends in high school, like, you know, they were potheads, whatever. And, and I was, I was smoking a lot of weed too. Like, um, and some, some, some of those people, like, you know, I still have it just like that bond to this day where it's like, we'll always be brothers. But a lot of those people kind of, I realized were like friends out of convenience. And so when I discovered like the world of Twitter, there was no geographic constraint. There was no barrier anymore. Um, and so it felt like the opportunity to meet people and connect with people was absolutely limitless. And so it opened me up to this whole entire new world. Growing up, I always felt like I was a little bit different. I was always like a little bit of an outlier. And don't get me wrong, I was a normal kid. I played sports growing up. I was in a fraternity in college, you know, like norm, super normal dude. But I always like had like, I don't know, a different perspective, like a little fire that burned in me. Like I wanted more. I wanted to do more. I wanted more out of life. Like I, I just felt like satisfied, like, you know, sitting around a dimly lit room in the frat house, passing around a bong, like was not my ideal Thursday. And I felt like I finally found like my people, like kind of people that felt like me, people that felt similar to the way that I felt, you know, on this Bluebird app. Um, and so, you know, I, I absolutely love Twitter. It's changed. It's absolutely changed my life. Um, and over this time of like growing this kind of following in this community, um, I mean, beyond like the friendships, can't put a price tag on it. Beyond like the mentorship and the advisors that I've met along the way from like guys that are, you know, further ahead than me that have helped me make like decisions that I, I would have never been able to navigate alone. Like, you know, all that, like, I got just super invaluable. I mean, on top of that, um, it's given me access to anything that I could dream of. Anything is one tweet away, bro. Like I land in a new city in some remote country in the world and it's like, yo, I'm in X. Who wants to grab a coffee? Like it's wild. I got people that are like, Hey, like you want to stay at my crib? You want to stay at my apartment? By the way, uh, I run a gym. Feel free to work out at my, my gym. Like, bro, it is insane like it's 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 life-changing and uh i think that like it, it's it's living life on easy mode and so you know discovering the power of having a following having social clout having social currency um uh, i've realized that this is something i need to double down on not for the money i don't i don't sell a course i don't i don't sell some bullshit scammy discord or some you know whatever like dude, I don't really make any money like off my personal brand. Like I don't really make any money off my YouTube. In fact, I spend like five grand a month on, you know, my editor and my thumbnails and on the equipment and on traveling and whatever. And this, like I spent, there's no art, like, you know, monetary ROI, but like the impact that it has on my life, absolutely life-changing. So I know that I need to double down. And again, like I'm brand new to this shit, right? I got 21,000 followers on Twitter. I got 3000 subs on YouTube. Like, dude, I'm just getting started. And so it's wild, like how crazy and how, 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 how the impact that it's had on my life at such a small like point, I can't even fathom what it's going to be like in five years from now when I got 1 million on Twitter, 1 million on YouTube, 1 million on Instagram, 
Absolutely insane. Do you think that there is uh, an extreme that where it becomes negative, the fame, the attention, the clout? Um, maybe. I mean, it's impossible for me to say. Like, I'm just like speculating from the sidelines, and you know, if that's the case, and you know, I reach that kind of uh, top of the mountain, and I have to reevaluate, and maybe I delete my account, maybe I, I hop off social. Who knows? Um, I don't know. What do you think? I think often about Tim Ferriss's post about, I think it's 13 reasons not to be famous. Oh, I heard about that. It's a really good article, which is worth checking out. That just shows some of his negative experiences from the grandest level of fame. But you even think about Tim Ferriss, it's not, he's not that famous. He's not Justin Bieber. But, but then you think and see what he's experienced and you're like, okay, there's, that's a price to pay. Um, that's but that's life, bro. Maybe if you want to be the best, yes. If you want to be the top of the top of the top, doesn't come without its baggage, man. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And there's a price to pay, and it, it's helpful to know the price before you are in the game fully, before you make the decision. I, th- I think people know the price because it doesn't it doesn't happen all at once. Yeah, like he could have quit at any point of his journey, and he could quit now, and he could quit now. Yeah. If he's, he's, he's still, still doing, doing it. it. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That shows that, yeah, well, maybe he's feeling it and feeling the heat of being famous, but it's not impacting him so much so that he doesn't do it at all. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man. Right. What would you say to somebody who's in this position right now of, I know I should be posting on Twitter where I should be building a brand of some sort online and I want to, but I'm not. What would you tell that person? Yeah, dude, there's like this really amazing analogy and it's like, you know, the woodpecker that's hitting that, that, that tree, you know, like 500 times. Or like, I'm sure you've seen that like uh, image of the gold miner that's digging that tunnel and then he turns away like right before there's one more strike and he's about to find the gold. Or one more strike for that woodpecker and the whole entire thing breaks and he finally reaches his goal. The, they call it like the boiling point, right? I think, I think that's what they call it. It's like the boiling point, right? There's, like, there's, 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 there's a specific point where the water starts to boil. And you could be 0.1 degree away, 0.01 degree away. No movement. The water's laying flat. And as soon as you reach that temperature, boom. And so, you know, from my point of view, is that like if you're determined, if you want to be successful, if you want to reach the goal, if you want to break the tree, if you want to get the water to boil, you can't give up. You just got to keep going. And it will be inevitable. It'll be impossible that you won't succeed. I love that for somebody who is actually doing the thing and is in the process of building their brand or building their business. What about the person who's on the sidelines right now and is saying to themselves, I, I want to be in the game, but I'm not. The best time to have taken action was yesterday and the second best is you know at the present. There's, I mean, there's nothing more to say. So you could procrastinate it and wait for the perfect moment. Perfect moment doesn't exist, dude. There's always going to be something that holds you back. Whether it's college, whether it's your parents. Okay, wait, I'm going to wait until I have enough money. Now you have enough money and you got a full, whole entire family to support. Once I reach this position, I'll walk away. Then you reach that position and you got golden handcuffs on you. Like, dude, there will always be you know, some, some, some reason, some person, some situation, some, something that tells you that, you know, you shouldn't take that jump. It'll always be difficult. 
And so the question becomes is, you know, when are you going to do it? And the best time to do it is right now. Point blank. What's the thing you're having the most difficulty with right now? I think, I think there are a couple of things. Um, first is like, I have ADHD and, um, I love like being stimulated. You know what I mean? And like, I thrive the most in chaos. Like that's like when I like shine, like when the whole entire like ship is burning down and it's sinking, like that's when I come out to play. And that's when I feel like the most alive. Like I just, you know, cook in like times of like pressure and stress and uncertainty and like i'm addicted to that right now i can't lie like life is pretty fucking good right like life life is like life is like life is good man like life is comfortable and um it's weird because like i'm bored bro i'm i'm super fucking bored and uh it's very easy to get addicted to the cheap dopamine right like it's very easy to like, you know, like coast, but, um, that also like brings like its own set of like pain and misery and depression, you know, everything else. And so for me, like, I would say something that like I'm struggling with is just like continuing, I guess, like to find, um, the same hunger that I once had just because like things are like the situation is, is, is good. It's comfortable. Like I'm not. I'm not needed the way that I once was needed. Like, you know, at times it's like the systems are humming. The empl- like my team is killing it. You know, like operations are smooth. It's a blessed position to be in. I would have sacrificed anything to be in this position. And now I'm here and I'm like, talk like one F, right? Like, I'm like, I'm going crazy. Um, and so like, you know, now I'm kind of diving into new challenges. Like one is my personal brand and, you know, like, I'm a complete newbie when it comes to putting myself out there. And so, you know, I just bought like a nice camera for the first time and I was learning how to use my camera. It took me like two weeks to figure it out. I'm, I still like don't even know how to like charge the damn thing. Uh, I feel like a grandpa, but you know, like now I'm kind of like diving into, to new arenas. I just started a new business, uh, this, this software brand that I was telling you about, uh, study buddy, um, which I don't know if it's the right thing to do either because every successful person always tells you focus on one thing. And one thing only. If you want to be the best at thing, you can't get distracted. Uh, but man, oh man, I'm I'm having a I'm having a hard time. Um, so I'd say like that's probably like one thing that like I'm really struggling with. And then the second thing is, you know, I'm in this very like unique position where like all my homies are back at school. Uh, I'm, all my friends are you know working internships and nine to fives and uh, you know are in college and. Um, that's tough, right? Because, like, I'm doing my thing. And then, bro, like, here's the other thing, too. Like, I have other friends that are sick as fuck, too, that are entrepreneurs and killing it. But you know what I've always noticed, and I'm sure you can relate to it? The reason why they're killing it because is because they're on their own path. And the reason why I'm killing it is because I'm on my path. And they're busy as hell. I'm busy as hell. And so, you know, like, it's hard to find, like, that time to, like, overlap and, and to, like, to, to kind of find that community. Cause they're so busy at like, crushing their thing and, and, you know, like murder in their space the same way like you are with whatever, where it's like, it's very rare to find like, Hey, like 
we're both free at the same time or we're both hanging out or he's in this city or this country and I'm in this city and I'm in that country. And so um, that's been a little bit difficult. I feel like I don't really have much of like a community, honestly. Like sometimes I feel like a little bit alone. Uh, entrepreneurship is a lonely path. It's a lonely game. My whole entire team is remote. I don't have an office. I don't have like, you know, like see the same people every day. Um, and while like the internet and, you know, obviously like FaceTiming and text and Twitter and these social media profiles have for sure like given way to like this digital community, uh, it's not the same. Are you alone? Yeah, man. Are you? No, I don't feel alone. And I, I want to challenge the idea of entrepreneurship being a lonely game or it's lonely at the top. Because you can certainly say that and believe it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true because you can find examples of entrepreneurs and people and places that are full of community and full of life. I think that that comes later. I think that if you want to be the top of your game, you need to sacrifice. Has Joe Rogan sacrificed community in his quest to be at the top? Maybe not now, but I think if you look at his past, for sure. I don't know if that's true. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I haven't looked deep enough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Joe Rogan in, in particular, but what I could tell you is that like if you want to achieve what you know, ninety nine point nine percent can't, you gotta do that comes like like what we were talking about. There's a cost that comes with sacrifice. I mean, list like you, man. Were there like Friday nights and whatever where like you hey, come to the bar with us. Hey, let's go get dinner. Hey, I got tickets to the Mets game. Hey, you know, we're going we're going clubbing. You sacrifice, like, there's a reason why you're in this seat. You had to say no to a lot of things that, you know, maybe would have led to a better social life. Maybe would have led to closer friendships. I don't like, undoubtedly. And I think that, like, a lot of times, like, the, far, the, the farther you go, the more successful you become. The bigger the sacrifices take to get to that point. I don't think that it has to be lonely. But I think that it's it's more difficult. It comes with its own problems, you know? Like, being a 21-year-old kid, like, where, like, everybody else my age is, you know, like, getting lit at the, you know, at, at the, the college bar, like, that's not my place. That's not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not where I'm at. Does it frustrate you to see Instagram stories or see the life that you could have lived? if you didn't sacrifice what you sacrificed? No, because I was miserable. I was fucking miserable in that life. And when I lived that life, I was told by other people what I could be, and I was pigeon-held like my dad is, bro. And it goes beyond like monetarily in, in a job sense. You know, when I went to college and you know I rushed fraternities, I didn't get into the top frat, top frat, right? Like I got into like the mid-tier frat. And, you know, it's other people telling me, like, you belong here. You're put into this position in the social hierarchy. Fuck you, have a nice day, bro. You, you, you can't label me. You can't, you can't pigeonhole me and tell me that this is where I belong and that I can only, like, see these girls because, like, they're on the same mid-tier level of sororities. The fuck? When I, when I, went, when I went to go, you know, interview and be in a business frat in school, I got rejected. They told me, you know, like, I don't know what they told me, but I guess I didn't fit the criteria of PSE at the University of Michigan Ross. 
fuck you, have a nice day. Same thing. So I tried playing that game, bro. You know, I tried like, you know, living that life, playing that game. And it was a bunch of people telling me that I wasn't good enough. And now here I am running laps around all of these people in a bit of position that these people couldn't even fathom. Can't tell me shit. And I don't want to say, I don't want to come out of like a place of spite, but like, did that motivate me? Like, did that, you know, fuel some of my fire? Absolutely. Do I have a a bit of a chip on my shoulder? Absolutely. What are the chips that are still there? I don't know. I I don't think that I'm motivated by the reasons that I was once motivated. Like, because like now I feel like I've kind of hit like this point where it's like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, like, is that all you from sixth grade or Jackie? You can only get you to the (laughs) What's that? That's Sam Park. That's Sam Park. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we brought that up on the podcast. Fucking tell him, yo, talk about how Sally rejected him and how he made it his life mission not to be a loser because Sally for nah man, I'm not I'm not crying over sixth grade. Like I've reached a point now where it's like, yo, I'm very content where I'm at. I'm very content, like, you know, the position that I'm in. I got buddies from high school, people that were a year older than me, two years older than me. Yo, Ollie, Ollie, bro, you keep killing it. I see what you're doing, man. Like, dude, that shit's inspirational, but like I I don't have anything to prove to those people anymore. For sure I I once did. You know, when I was on the kind of my come up, when everybody was doubting me, when people were laughing in my face, sex chocolate, like, that's wild, right? Like, this kid's, what the hell? You know, you know, you know at this point, like, I feel like I've, I've done it. And so now, like, kind of what compels me and motivates me to get to the next level is the fact that I'm now in new rooms with people that are a hundred times farther ahead than me. Right. And then, you know, you get humbled, you get humbled real quick and you realize I ain't shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. No, it's a good, right. It's a good feeling. And so it's like, bro, like there's never like, a, there's never a ceiling. Like there is never a ceiling, right? Like now I'm staying at this nice hotel. I'm here in Austin. I'm staying at this five star hotel, but am I in the suite? Okay. Now let's say I'm in the suite, but are you in the presidential suite? Okay. Now let's say you're in the presidential suite. Do you own the fucking hotel? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's infinite levels to this game. And I don't know like how far I want to go. I don't have like this dream of being like a billionaire. Like I'm, I'm not like super motivated by money anymore, but, um, you know, you for sure realize like, as you kind of get further and further ahead that, um, you're, you're, you're still a small fish in a big pond and there's still always going to be something that has a bigger boat or a nicer car or, you know, a shinier watch. A lot of people might look at that and be like, that's a miserable existence to live in that reality of, oh, someone always has it bigger than me and I got to beat them. What would you say to them? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't upset me that somebody has a nicer watch. It doesn't upset, it inspires me, bro. It inspires me because you know what? The same way when I was 14 years old and looked at Al Mamon and said, he wasn't doing anything different than I would have do it. He's not made from a different blood. It's the same thing, but instead of being worth $0 and my mom was being worth $50,000, you know, I'm worth X and this guy's worth a couple hundred million. So I don't, I don't look at it and be like, oh, like, you know, 
fuck that guy and like you know it's a miserable existence and i just i'm just like this greedy little bastard that wants more and more and more and more like no that, that ain't it but um i think that it's like actually like liberating to see that like you know you, you get access to these rooms and you realize like how similar we all are and um i think that that's empowering if anything i think that it's motivating i think that it shows me that it's within reach and i'm capable of it and it pushes me to keep going even further Money is the scoreboard. You hear a lot of people say that. Money is the scoreboard. It's true, man. You make impact. You create value. You do big things. And the money comes. The money follows. And the money is, in a lot of ways, a currency to reflect what you did. For you, it's probably like views and likes and comments and DMs. And guess what? Money will also come with that too right like and there's probably a ratio for every million views you get on your podcast you probably see you know x thousand dollars or x hundred thousand dollars or x million dollars so like i'm not necessarily like optimizing for money but i am optimizing for growth and the further ahead you go the more money that comes with it well dude you have grown so much not only in the time that i've known you but also in the past seven, 10 years. And it's been remarkable to watch that growth in the rear view since I've done the research to look at the story. And it's been remarkable to know you for the past nine months, because just to see what you've done and taking your own mental situation from that point into this point is like, man, I'm so excited for the future. I'm so excited for what's to come with you. And now I, I like to end these podcasts with a challenge or ask the guest for a challenge because the challenge points to the place in your heart. You want people to take this conversation and do something with it. What's a challenge you can leave people with? I think going back to our conversation earlier, you can't do anything if you don't define your goals. So you know what? Instead of saying, hey, here's the challenge of building a million dollar business and blah, 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 blah. Like, nah, fuck that. Let's keep it really simple. I think that everybody that's watching this can do this. Take 60 seconds, close your eyes, and think about where you want to be in five years. Think about where you want to be in 10 years. Think about it, embody it, write that down. And then you need to live that for every waking moment that you're alive on this earth. It doesn't mean anything if you're going to write that down on a piece of paper and then throw it out the next day. Right, like you need to think about that, embody it, and live and breathe it and obsess over it for however long it takes. Post that shit on your mirror, or post that shit somewhere you see it every day. Right, sure, post it on your mirror, write it on your, put it on your, put it on your laptop, make it your phone screensaver, journal it a hundred times every day, whatever you need to do. But I think that if you do that, like that's a good step in the right direction, and I think hopefully the rest will come. Oliver, thank you so much. Where can we send people? Can I cook you further? <laughs> yeah, bro. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, man. This was a really amazing conversation. I feel like the best conversations are the ones where you lose track of time. You know what I mean? I could keep going forever, bro. <laughs> like, bro, you know, have you seen that? It's like Percy Jackson where they go into like a casino or some shit and uh, there's like no sense of time and they walk out. It's like three years later. Or some shit. I feel like that's like this like podcast like studio right now. Uh, we'll walk out it's like tomorrow. But um, where can you where can you find me? 
you can find me on Twitter at Oliver underscore underscore B1. And then you can find me everywhere else at Oliver Brocato. B-R-O-C-A-T-O. Dude, I really appreciate you having me on. This was a great conversation. And uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a brother. Thank, thank you for being there for me in July when I didn't think that I was going to make it out. But my whole entire world like came crashing down on me and I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Um, and thank you for being a supporter. Thank you, man. Dude, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. So grateful for you. You inspire me. And I'm so grateful we have this conversation as a timestamp for where you were at 21 because I'm excited to see 26, 31, 36, and years, years beyond. This has been a tremendous, tremendous time, hopefully the first of many. And uh, thank you, man. Thank you.